Woohoo! Hey everybody, hello! <laughs> this is DJ Crystal Clear with you. It is Original versus Cover. Hopefully your favorite podcast on the planet Earth next to my engineer, my friend, my comrade in arms, Dr. Paul Bertolino. Woo! <laughs> His podcast, as I mention all the time, is called As It Should Be. And recorded here in the world-famous As It Should Be Studios. Coincidentally. Coincidentally, yeah. You need to check it out, because he's really great. So, um, again, I'm going to be very random with my choices. There's no theme here. I could be doing themes, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. And as Paul noted off the air, what did you say? It was a bad day for covers? (laughs) Well, if anybody who listened to the previous episode, you know, after each uh, description of of the original and the cover... Uh, Crystal always chooses which one she prefers. A winner! Yeah, well, the, the covers didn't fare too well in the last episode. Yeah. The, the, the originals always came up. The victor! The victor, yeah. All the covers lost. Yeah. Because they were not good. Um, and I, I don't know what's going to happen here, because I have no memory of what I wrote. So, <clears throat> here we go. Song number one is a classic from the 60s. It's called Eight Miles High. And I'm going to say right up front that I really don't like... I really don't like this song. Really? You don't like the original Birds version? I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know why. I have some sort of sensory memory with it that makes me not like it. Like listening to it as a kid and, you know, did I fall and hurt myself? I don't know. It's just something, there's something about the recording that rubs me the wrong way. I don't know if it's the engineering. I don't know if it's I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. And because of this, I listened to it literally 15 times last night, trying to put my finger on it, and I still can't do it. <laughs> so you cringed your way through I it. I cringed my times. way through it, yeah, and I, I don't know why, but I just I don't like the song. I mean, I'm a Birds fan. I'm not a huge Birds fan, but there are other songs I like more. So anyway, <clears throat> it came out in 1966, and the cover was done by Husker Du in 1984. And I can't even believe it's been that long already. So the original, it's quintessentially 60s. From the opening bass line, drums, and percussion, the kooky, sloppy guitar solo, which was obviously influenced by Ravi Shankar, and dropping acid. That's what I think. Uh, Despite most of the lyrics sounding like nonsense, this song is apparently about the band's flight to London uh, for their 1965 tour. There are a few couplets in the song that refer to this trip, quote-unquote, from beginning to end. The laid-back harmonies are lush, but I still think they were majorly stoned in the studio. That's what I think. Now, Paul, <laughs> you are a 60s connoisseur <laughs> and a Birds fan, so lay it on me. Oh, I don't, I, I don't really have the answers to your questions, except that I just kind of, by default, would assume... That they were probably, you know, under the influence under of the influence something. Of some acid. I mean, and David Crosby was often under the influence of assholery. <laughs> but I don't know if that really comes into play in this particular instance. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, it's a nice hippie anthem, you know, but I just, uh, I don't like it. Um, and it has, me not liking it has no, nothing to do with the outcome of this. <clears throat> I'm just telling you that. Because <laughs> there are a lot of songs that I'm doing in this show that I don't initially like. But, you know, it's for the sake of the cover. I'm doing it for you people. I'm sacrificing myself. And Paul is sacrificing himself even harder 
because he has to listen to songs that he absolutely does not want to listen to <laughs> and or hates. Yeah. So I hope you appreciate our effort. All right, the cover done by Husker Du. You may remember them. They were a punk alternative rock darlings in the late 70s, early 80s. And this cover version lays out that very quickly and plainly. This cover was released as a single right before Zen Arcade, their seminal album, came out in 1984, which I didn't realize at first. Everybody except me and Paul owned Zen Arcade. Oh, wait a minute. Did you own it? No, no. no. Okay. I, but I knew somebody who owned it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who? I mean, oh. it wasn't me. No, 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 no. no. I, could, I didn't really know you in the 80s no, that well. not at all. But, um... No, my, my, my same friend, Sean. Did I, we just, I just mentioned my friend, oh, it was in the last episode. last episode. My friend, Sean, who was my source of early 90s stuff. Everything. He was, he was a Husker Du guy. Husker Du. Husker Du guy. Husker Husker. Husker Husker. And that, everybody would argue, oh, no, it's like the game. Because it was a game, Husker Du, right? Is that what it was? I think there was, yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if that's where they got their name, but there was such a game. Because that was the argument that... They got the name. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. I didn't care either way. Um, I actually, I saw them twice live. And the reason why I saw them twice is because I didn't get it the first time. Uh, As I said in the previous episode, I try not to poo-poo things outright. I want to give it a shot. And it was okay. I don't know. It just didn't, uh, just didn't, you know rock my world I don't know they were alright uh, the song is sped up Ramon style it clocks in at 356 whereas the original is like 15 minutes long or something no it's not that long It's. it just seems like it it just seems like it yeah <laughs> um, loud guitars played better than the Birds original I think lots of drum bashing a loud bass line and lots of yelling by Bob Mould Mould. Shit. How do you say it? Mould? Mould. Mould. Bob Mould. And I mean just flat out yelling. He's just screaming into the microphone. Dude's punk as fuck. Punk as fuck. You know, not into... It doesn't give a shit because he's a punk rock dude. Yeah. It sounded a lot to me like primal scream therapy. And this motherfucker isn't even bothering with lyrics because... After the two verses, he's just like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. He's literally just screaming that until <laughs> the song fades out. He's just delivering us some, some ah, Yoko yeah, Ono action. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? And I guess that's why people loved it, because it was thrashing and him screaming. Hey, man. He didn't give a fuck. <laughs> he didn't give a fuck. He, he, must, he, must have had, he must have had rich parents. Do you think so? When people don't give a fuck that much... It's usually because they don't have to. Did Bob Mould come from money? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. You know, I mean, like like John Spencer when he was in Pussy Galore, that was just one of those just, you know, do whatever things. the fuck nonsensical shit because we can, because we don't have to sell records. He was also in Boss Hog and Heavy Trash before the John Spencer Blues explosion. Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> well, I have to say that... Um, a band that I was in years ago called, uh... Oh, Oh, Garden State Social Club. That's what it was. (laughs) Uh, We're razor sharp today, guys. Oh, my God. It's still... I'm blaming it on the post-anesthesia brain fog because I should... That just should come tumbling out of my mouth. Garden State Social Club. This was 
four years ago, five years ago, four years ago, because I was uh, I was dating Mark then. Yeah. So we played at that place, uh, the WFMU place in New Jersey, um, Monty Hall. And we opened for them, John Spencer Blues Explosion. Monty Hall. Mon- that's what they call it, Monty Hall. And they've got pictures of them all over the place. It's kind of it's, you know. oh, okay. So the the, the reference is oh made. yeah yeah yeah. It isn't yeah. a coincidence. No 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 no. It's definitely purposeful. Oh, okay. And <clears throat> it's this weird little space. Was it a garage in some former life? I don't know. It was really weird and a pain in the ass to get to. I remember that. So, yeah, WFMU, Monty Hall, we opened for John Spencer's Blues Explosion. And uh, he was a sweaty mess, but super nice guy. Yeah, and he's about my size. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, I know, he's a little tiny guy. Yeah, he is a a short guy. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that, too. I thought he was going to be taller. Yeah. I mean, like, not only is he small, but, like, his waist is, you Oh, know, right, yes. You know, <laughs> that big, you, like, you know. Like, yeah, Mick Jagger or something. It's like 14 inches around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is tiny. But he wears suits and ties, so that makes him look bigger. But when I when I hugged him, I was like... He's got a fra- small frame, he is. All the air came out of the suit. So, uh... <clears throat> why, why was I even talking about them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, because I started complaining about uh, about rich kids. Oh, rich kids, right? And we don't know if Bob Mould came from money. Yeah, we don't. And scene. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, screaming and yelling. All right. So, who wins? This is what I say. Neither one of them win. <laughs> <laughs> it is a tie of badness. It's a sloppy original. The cover with the screaming. Two thumbs down. Oh shit. Boo. Well, well. And I know people, if Monica, if you're, Monica Elftarion, if you're listening to this podcast, I know that you hate me now because I remember you being a huge Husker Du fan when we were friends, uh, when we knew each other back in the 90s. I mean, we're still friends now, but yeah, I'm not, yeah, they both stink. So there. Now listen to them and tell me what you think.
with song number two. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, this weird squonking, squeaky noise you're hearing is my fan because, as I said in the last episode, it's hot as balls here in New York City today. Whew. I mean, the temperature's not so hot, but it's humid as fuck. Well, especially here in uh, in Bed-Stuy, oh my God. Uh, Brook line, because... Uh, <laughs> Brook line. Yes, because there was a cloud bus there, yeah. so yeah, so... It's, now it's officially a steam bath, yeah. and we can't run the AC because it's too distracting, it's so... too loud, yeah, you'll just hear... <clears throat> so we're suffering for our art. All right, we're back? Well, we let me have a look. All right. We might be back, it's running, I want to make sure that... <laughs> It's all right. We might be back. (laughs) 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 Yeah, actually, it is official. It's official. We're back. (laughs) 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 All right. There's a distinct possibility that we're back. We're back. (laughs) Are you paying attention? Okay. See, this is what we do when we talk on the phone. We just crack each other up. Uh, Please listen to episode number six for that reference about talking on the telephone. Yes. So, uh, song number two, Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? In 1982, it was done by Culture Club, the original version. And it was covered by the Violent Femmes in 1991. I... Paul's already shaking his head. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I can do Culture Club, but the Violent Femmes? Oh, no. Really? Do you hate violent femmes? Uh, um, how, how you Americans say, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, is it because you were sick of hearing Gone Daddy Gone and, uh... It's because I hate that fucking whiny douchebag Gordon voice. Gano. Yeah. Well, I'll get to that in a moment. <clears throat> so, the original version, when I bought this... I ran out to the record store and bought it. Like, already having seen Boy George on in band and wherever, on whatever shows. Ran out and bought the record the first day it was released. And I also got the 45 of this. Because I love this song. It is one of my all-time favorite songs. I mean, it's just... To me, it's just... It's perfection. It's so fucking good. The lyrics are amazing. The arrangement is beautiful. His voice is just like, it's like butter. It's so good. Now, if you listen to the uh, 45 version, before the song kicks in, there's this odd voice with a British accent that says, popularity breeds contempt. And then, uh, and then the strings come in. Then the song comes in. Wait, so that's on the single? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now, it was on some of the album versions and not on some of the album versions. I don't know what the delineation is there, but when I was talking to people about it, I was like, oh, man, that weird voice in the beginning. They're like, what are you talking about? It's just the song. So some people heard it and some people didn't, hmm. and I don't know why. <clears throat> and it's such a strange thing to put at the beginning of a song. Right. Well, you know, maybe he's prepping himself for, uh, for success. I guess so. I mean, it... When you know, well, yeah. So that, you know, popularity breeds contempt. And then, you know, you don't know what's going on. It's literally a second, and then the strings come in. And George's beautiful, haunting, soulful voice kicks in. The strings, the soft backing vocals, you're just lulled into this sleepy, melancholy, gauzy, Vaseline on the lens sort of feeling. The tempo picks up a little bit with this kind of like jaunty reggae beat with the leading bass line, the synths, their chimes. The drums are 
uh, you know, like lively uptick a little bit. This is a love song written by Boar George. Uh, supposedly, he was pining away for his drummer, John Moss. Um, John Moss was married at the time or had a girlfriend. <laughs> and supposedly, John Ross didn't. Uh didn't always run away. (laughs) So there was a little push and pull going on here in the band. And, you know, you can read about all kinds of accounts about it. Uh, Mikey, Mikey Hay, what was his name? The drum, uh, the the bass player, the black guy? Oh, I don't know. Mikey Roy, Mikey Hay. I remember him talking about it. And then as time went on, of course, initially John Moss is like, I'm not a fag, blah, 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 blah. And then later on, oh, yes, well, you know, we, and then... you know, later on, then again, no, 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 we, there was nothing going on between us, which is ridiculous. So, it's a really sad love song. Um, Boy George was quoted once by saying that it was about John Moss and all the guys I dated at that time in my life, which, you know, I guess were a lot. Um, <clears throat> I love this song. I played the 12-inch about 25 times in a row when I first bought it, and I wore it, I literally wore it out. It's one of the few albums that I, you could almost see through it. I, I wore it out so hard. And I would play it at DJ gigs all the time and mix it into other stuff. The song is beautiful. Now, the cover by Violent Femmes. It opens with a lot of Italian and Spanish-sounding guitars that goes on for 37 seconds. And Gordon Gano sounding like a kooky Dean Martin, kind of with that nasal, Give me time! you know, which is already sort of grating. Then the drums (laughs) kick in, and the song turns into this weird, lurching, electric, acoustic, mid-tempo folk rock song. And now you have to listen to it, because that makes no sense. Uh, The arrangement was changed slightly, tempo-wise. Gordon's vocal is low and sort of seething and angry, especially when he's yelling and whining, which is most of the time. Whereas Boy George threw himself on his bed crying, and Gordon Gano sounds like he's plotting revenge while he's singing it. Because he just sounds cranky. He sounds like if a rat could sing, it would be Gordon Gano's voice coming out of it. Right. Yeah. Well, like he's a five-year-old kid who's not getting his way. Basically, yeah. Um, so the winner... Well, you know, <clears throat> as clever as Violent Femmes cover is, and what do you expect from a band in which the bass player also plays... The Sakuhachi, keyboards, xylophone, didgeridoo, and kitchen sink. I gotta go with the Culture Club because it's a great song just to relax to and get your heartstrings plucked at the same time. If there's ever a time where sometimes you know how you get out of the shower and you just want to lay in bed and like your window's open and cool breeze is coming along and you're just like, ah, like that, Mm. that is when you listen to Do You Really Want to Hurt Me over and over again. I haven't tried that one yet. Try it. You'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Culture Club wins. Now you need to check them both out. Give me time to realize my crimes. Let me love and steal. Inside your eyes 
all-time favorite songs and it was um hmm. it was not ruined by you paul by me yeah but it you made me <laughs> <laughs> by you paul not by rupaul well, not by rupaul but by you comma paul um only because you made me realize that it sucks. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that's why I'm here. It's <clears throat> no, my job. That's your job. No, not that it sucks, but you made me realize something about Mark Bolin and his songwriting style, which I'll get to in a second. So uh, it's Children of the Revolution, <laughs> <laughs> done by T-Rex in 1972. And uh, the cover was... Wait a minute. Did we do this? No, we didn't do this. Oh, no, it's Violent Femmes again. That's what it is. <laughs> Okay, so I'm torturing you. Wow, so there's another that's viol- double. Yeah, it's a double double dose. So uh, it's another Violent Femmes cover, <clears throat> and it was done in 1986. So sidebar, a year or so ago, you and I were talking about <laughs> about T-Rex, and you said you were talking about his songwriting, and you were like. Well, you know, all he does is just repeat the same fucking things over and over and over again. Well, I said what he does, he just comes up with some cosmic-sounding song title, and then he just repeats it over and over again over a groove. Right. And it was like a punch in the face to me, because I had never thought of that before. And I can't even tell you why I never thought of it before. And I was just like, doyoyoyoyoing. Oh my god, you're right. Literally every fucking song. Yeah. I've tried so hard to get into... 
T-Rex, and every time I do, I go, I'm waiting for the songs to come in. I don't know. I just, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's the truth, you know. Hmm. Maybe it's just because I've been in love with the guy for so long. My mom had the hots for him. I had the hots for him. You know, because I just wanted to fuck him. I could think that he could do no wrong. And, you know, how great would it be to be fucking this guy and have him serenade you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I just wanted to be a jeepster for his love, Paul. Well, to be fair, he was influential. I mean, even Ray Davies started imitating him in the early 70s. He started doing that goat thing. Right, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's it is annoying. Um, All right, so the original, like I said, is one of my all-time favorite songs, sung and played by a guy my mom and I both wanted to have sex with, Um, but not at the same time, you perverts. Uh, This is a low-key, funky, lurchy, slow bump and grind, as Mark says in the lyric. You know, dun, 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 you know it, it's a killer hook. And you know it by the second done. Uh, the only other opening lick like that I can think of that's as easily recognizable is from Smoke on the Water, probably. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know it. Like, name that tune, you can get it in two notes, one note. Yeah, As easily. soon as you hear it, you know it. Um, <clears throat> there's a full band with strings, lilting backing vocals done during the chorus. Elton John plays piano. Ringo Starr is on the second drum kit. Uh, when you listen to with really good headphones, you can hear that. And lyrically, this is just about, like every other T-Rex song, one or two verses repeated forever. Thanks for pointing that out, Paul, because I've been so transfixed by his looks and the fact that he was into black women that I completely overlooked that. <laughs> That's why I was crushed when you when you smacked me in the face with that reality. Well, it was kind of like in the 80s, you know, how all the girls I knew in high school, they all loved Bon Jovi. They didn't know he sucked because they were just looking at him. Because he was cute. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And, you know, they both had their hair frosted the same way. What's not to like? So this song is about the revolution that never really happened. Well, it sort of happened. Did it? Maybe. I mean, you know, there were some things that changed in the 60s. Yeah. Beatles sang about a revolution. I mean, you know, you know, I think it was more like one step forward and 18 steps back. In most cases. Right. Well, you know, the whole time those guys were doing their thing, the, 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 the powers that be were behind the scenes trying to figure out how to counteract it. And they, uh, they figured it out and did it in a spectacular no way. fashion. Yeah. Skull and bones even back then, ruining everything. And look where we are in 2019, fuckers. Um, so, you know, the song is about the revolution that sort of happened, or is it the first hippie diss record about glam rock posers? I drove Rolls Royce because it's good for my voice. Or was he singing about himself? I don't know. Yeah. It's a good song to make out to. I do know that. I have a vague recollection of that, making out to the song with... Oh, it was probably Rudy. This dude who was the roommate of my friend Tracy uh, back in 1983. Oh, wow, that was a long time ago. Anyway, oh yeah, that's right, because Rudy did not use deodorant, so he stunk all the time. <laughs> And he taught me how to play bass. That's, I like that guy. I wonder what ever happened to him. I don't remember his last name. And Tracy's dropped off the face of the earth. Anyway, uh, the cover. Once again, we have Gordon Gano flipping the original on its head. From the jump with the thick thud of the bass line marching along some funky Warrell-styled synths. Then the guitar and the drums kick in. This is a folk march that is stomping along. Even the chorus is regimented. 
backing vocals sung by weird sounding women a reverby reverby guitar solo um, there's the core feeling of the original but it's just very oddball and the only way that Gordon Gano can do it that now that is a band name weird sounding women weird sounding women <laughs> <laughs> it is that is a good one I'm gonna put that on my list weird sounding women I love those guys uh, yeah so the winner uh, you know despite all the facts that we stated about Mark Bolan he wins this hands down because Violent Femmes cover version is just too fucking weird well, that's just it. No matter what you want to say about Mark Bolin, B- Bolman? Mar- Mark Bolman, <laughs> Mark Bolan, and his songwriting or his lack thereof, uh, still take him over Gordon Gano. Gano any, any day, yeah. <clears throat> and when you listen to this, you'll 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 hear why. And some of you may wind up hating Violent Femmes after these two covers. Well, then you've done your work. I've done my my work is done. <laughs> Sorry, Gordon. All right, check it out, people. Well, you can bump and grind. It is good for your mind. Well, you can twist and shout. Let it all hang out. But you won't fool the children of the revolution. It's good for my voice, but you won't fool the children of the revolution. I have song number four, and it is a fabulous song that everybody knows. It's called Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, done by Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons in 1967. You know it. It's a classic. It's a staple. And the cover is done by a one Lauren Hill in 1998. Did you ever hear this? Nope. All right. There are a couple reasons for that. Besides the obvious reasons. <laughs> uh, the original, <clears throat> this has been covered a zillion times. Dionne Warwick, The Pet Shop Boys, Sheena Easton, Muse, Jimmy Somerville, to mention a few. I mean, literally like oh, 500 people have covered this song. Yeah, yeah. No, that's one of those songs like Yesterday where it's just like, okay. Yeah, how can you not? 
Uh, but there is nothing like Frankie and the boys. The arrangement is very Vegas, with the blaring horns during the chorus, the tempo, and the way that Frankie sells it. You know, he's singing it. I mean, he's really singing it. And I don't know if he's trying to emulate anybody or if he's thinking of Frank Sinatra or, you know, in 1967, was he thinking about a Las Vegas residency? I don't know. But this song is fantastic. I totally dig it. Despite it being a karaoke favorite that can work your last fucking nerve. Because all everybody knows is... Oh, worry, baby, blah, 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 blah. That, you know. Right. It's like... Yeah, generally people know the chorus, but they don't know the verses. That's it, they don't know the verses. And, uh, you know, it's... And then you're in a karaoke bar, and then somebody plays Brown Eyed Girl right after it, and you want to kill yourself. Mm. Oh, Jesus. Um, The cover... This is from that neo-soul masterpiece, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. You know... The album with that mega hit, That Thing, on it. Remember that, Paul? Nope. <laughs> um, you've heard it. Have when I? You, oh, okay. You, when you... Yeah. That thing, that thing, that thing, that thing, that thing, that thing... You don't... Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, <clears throat> you definitely heard it. You just were not... You, so you were there noticing me hearing it, and I just didn't yeah, realize no, it. No, because I, I swear it. to you... It, 1998? Where were you in 1998? Avoiding that song like the plague. <laughs> no, but literally, where were you? I was at the store. <laughs> no, I mean, were you... Were, but they weren't playing music in that store, though. They didn't have a... <laughs> no, but you were you were still in California. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was in, I was in uh, Berkeley. Berkeley, okay. What I'm saying is that... No matter where you went, it was being played somewhere. You just were not acutely aware of it. That's what I'm saying. Could it, was be. it may have been in the air, but uh... it, was, it was blasting out of every fucking car. It was played in every store. It was all over the radio. Not the one you were listening to, but it was. It was everywhere. You just couldn't escape it. That was like the biggest fucking hit ever back then. Um, anyway, the. Uh, the album got 10 Grammy nominations and she won five of them, which was the first time a woman had ever done that. So, uh, this song opens with someone beatboxing an up-tempo and bouncing 4-4 beat. So it was like, and then you'll hear it. She's doing the lead and backing vocals and sings it pretty faithfully to the original with some vamping. Some drums and bass kick in. There's a B3 Hammond underneath all of it. It's spare and clean and fun. It feels like something she was goofing around with during rehearsal and then just decided to record it. Because that's how a lot of beatboxy stuff happens. It's like, oh yeah, yo, blah, and then somebody jumps in and does the beatbox and then they flesh it out. So uh, it's pretty cool. Um, I like it. And it was kind of, it was kind of a hidden track on the album because the last song ended and then it was maybe a minute and a half of silence and then this kicked in. So if you just picked up the needle after that last song, you wouldn't have known it. Right. Because it's kind of blended in there. Um, Who wins this? While Lauryn Hill puts a very decent hip-hop spin on it, I gotta pick Frankie and the Boys, despite the drunken karaoke assholes (laughs) ruin it every chance they can get. That song was ubiquitous in 1967. And I know this because of the Real Radio website. Uh, It's a website, guys, where they have all these recordings of old radio, these air checks where where somebody recorded an hour or whatever of radio. And every 
I'm telling you, like, every 1967 air check that I listen to, that song pops up. Oh, yeah. Everyone. Without fail. It was on the radio through the 70s all the time, too. It yeah. just wouldn't Yeah, I used die. to it on the radio in the 70s, but in 67? Oh, yeah. Jesus. Every five seconds. I can't... Yeah, it was it was nuts. So, uh... So, yeah. Nice, good job, Lauren, but it's Frankie, Valley, and the Four Seasons who win this. So, now you get to listen to it for yourself. Just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off you You'd be like heaven to touch I wanna hold you so much At long last love has arrived And I thank God I'm alive You're just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off you Pardon the way that I stare There's nothing else to compare The sight of you leaves me weak There are no words left to speak But if you feel like I feel Please let me know that it's real You're just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off you two songs left the second oh no this is the last song for today oh yeah okay well, last we've, song we've only today. done four we've only done four five did i only do five all right okay i'm good all right so song number five you are so beautiful the original 
It was written, co-written, uh, Billy Preston in 1974, and this was covered a million times, but the cover that I'm picking is probably the most popular one, done by Joe Cocker, also in 1974, probably five minutes after Billy Preston recorded it. Uh, the original, Billy wrote this with one of his regular collaborators, a Mr. Bruce Carleton. I wanted to say Carlton, but it's Carleton. Um, Bruce Carleton Fisher. And when you listen to this song, what do you think, Paul? Who do you think he's singing about? Gordon Gano. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it sounds like he's singing to some chick, right? Oh, could be. You know, yeah, you are so be. beautiful. Yeah. Well, Maybe one of the members of uh, Fanny. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, the song is about his mother. Oh, her. Her. That bitch. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, she was the muse. People pointed out to Billy, somebody who covered it, I can't remember now, was like, oh, yeah, I love doing this song. It, you know, I do. all the chicks love it. Uh, it attracts all the chicks. And he's like, that song's about my mama, fool. And he's like, oh, I thought you were singing about some girl. Oh, like, oh you know, and I kind of, I kind of missed uh, what you were, you're talking about, the original Billy Preston version. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, well. Come on, with Billy singing. Of course, he's, if he's going to be singing about a woman, <laughs> it's going to be, be his, about his mom. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yes, because for those who don't know, Billy Preston was gay. Watch the unsung episode. Uh, it's on YouTube. It was on BET all the time. Did you ever see that? Uh, I don't think I did. It's really good. That was a. It's a great show. I think it's still back on. But anyway, watch that. So here is a very weird sidebar. Um, according to a Beach Boys biographer, Beach Boys biographer, despite not having a writing credit, he said that Dennis Wilson helped Billy Preston finish writing the song. They are said to have collaborated on the song at a party where they discussed the concept of beauty. <laughs> well, I mean, lyrically, that song's almost as rich as a T-Rex song. So, <laughs> right. I, so I'm glad to know that it took two heads to put to together put that, to come up with it. <laughs> yeah, the same verse repeated with like one line change. Um, but I thought, really? Dennis Wilson and Billy Preston hanging out at a party, discussing beauty, and then, like, hey, let me help you write this song. I, that makes no sense Man, to me. Bet, anything was possible in the 70s. 70s, well, that's true. Because, you know, cocaine wasn't addictive and... No. Whatever. Everybody was having a great time. Uh, I doubt it, but they were probably drunk, but, you know, writing a song at a party, I want to know whose party it was, where was it, who else was there, that's what I want to know. Anyway, in 2004, in an interview, when he was asked about this, Brian Wilson said he did not write that song, <clears throat> uh, but Dennis sang it as an encore at just about every Beach Boys show from 75 until he died. Oh, yeah, that actually is right. He would... He would get up from the drums and come up in front of the band and, and sing that the song. Band sing it. I fortunately never saw him do that. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw the Beach Boys either. It was sometime in the 70s or early 80s. But uh, it's a beautiful song that starts off with the melody being played with a synth. It sounds really weird when it comes in. It's like this weird, squonky kind of noise and it, with a piano underneath it. Basically, it's a soulful hymnal and very funky at the same time because it's fucking Billy Preston. Sweeping strings, an uplifting vocal, the BVs, uh, the bridge is multi-layered multi synths with the strings, drums, and piano. There are no guitars in the song at all. It's total church. It's fabulous. Now, when you listen to the original version on that album, what is it, With the Kids or For the Kids? Oh, oh The Kids and Me. The Kids and Me, yeah, that's it. 
this is the version I'm talking about, not the version that starts off with a piano. Because this is the very first version. So don't be shocked when you start playing it, because you're going to be like, this is not this song. You know, like, give it a minute, and then you'll figure it out. Because it sounds weird. So the Kids and Me version is the one you want yes. for the episode, okay. Yeah. It just, it sounds, because it's so weird, I just, yeah. Because um, he re-recorded it with just the piano, you know, by himself. Um, the cover, it's a slow and melancholy piano that opens the song for a few measures before Joe starts the opening line. And right out of the gate, he sounds like he's looking right into the face of the woman he loves. Because the way that he's singing it, it's so emotional and so, you know, like, he sounds like he could be singing it during his wedding or something. Well, he's very close-miked, and, you know, it's that, it sounds like he's right in your ear. Yeah. Um, And it's, you know, the piano is very churchy. Uh, The arrangement is very spare. It's strings and piano, basically. Um, And the strings don't come in until a minute and 24 seconds. The song is only two minute and 40 seconds long because he only does, he just repeats the same verse twice. (laughs) Billy's version that I just talked about is four minutes and 50 seconds long. Oh, shit. Because he does all this, like, a half an hour of vamping. You know, Billy Preston. Oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. But, yeah, you just have to listen to it. It's very weird. Um, There's no endless vamping. It's not 25 verses. There's not a long bridge. In Billy's original, there's a very long bridge. It's simple and beautiful, especially when his voice breaks at the end when he sings, me, at the end. And it'll bring a tear to your eye. So who wins this? I say it's a tie. <laughs> That's what I say. I think once again the covers just can't win. They can't win. Yeah. Because they're both they're both really great to me. To me. To me. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, they're they're both fucking awesome. I don't know. You are so beautiful.
So did I did I say listen to it? I did say that, didn't I? The last song did I say listen to it? Check it out. Did I say something like that? Well, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. But you did say the ne- the last song, so I don't. Oh know. yeah. So yeah, whatever. So you listened to the previous one. Now you're listening to this one. So my last song for this episode is "Tumbling Dice" by the Rolling Stones and Linda Ronstadt. For some reason, I don't have the dates written down here. Um, so everybody knows Tumbling Dice, right? Do I have to explain it? I don't know. Let's ask them. Hey, everybody. Do you everybody, know? You weigh know, in. You know Tumbling Dice. It's, you know, a boozy, bluesy, you know, lazily sung, laid back uh, song, you know? Yeah. You got to roll me. It's just, they sound like they're in a bar to me. They sound like they recorded it in a bar. Well, that's, that's the vibe of that album, the Exile on Main Exile Street album. Exile on Main Street, yeah. Which is not one of my favorite albums by them. I like that album, but it is overrated. It's I mean, that's the, that's the one everybody freaks out about. Everybody practically pretends like that's their pet sounds, and it's, well, not really. Who, really? People think it's their pet sounds? Who's I mean, I'm, I'm overstating it, but I feel like that's the one that, that people are just like, whoa, Exile, oh, wow. That's, that's like the... I, it's more, it would be more appropriate to say people uh, consider it like their physical graffiti. Okay, all right. I'll take physical graffiti over the other one. Um, Pet Sounds was just the first, you know, big, majorly loved album by a band, the first one that came to mind, because that's how my mind works. It's always Pet Sounds. (laughs) It's always Pet Sounds. Um, Oh, 1972, the double album, Exile on Main Street. And uh, the the B-side there was Sweet Black Angel. Um, You know, first of all, this album, the cover made me not want to listen to it because those weird photos and the black guy with the balls in his mouth and oh yeah it just looked gross it looked dirty and gross and i didn't want to have anything to do with it so i avoided it for a really long time yeah you know what it took me a long time to to get that one too and the only reason i ultimately did is just because everybody was just always sounding off about it everybody was always always name checking it yeah and it wasn't until cds came out that i finally got it Oh, oh, okay, yeah. I, I mean, I bought the vinyl maybe in high school or something in the 80s, and I thought, oh, you know, all right. But I just, you know, it didn't really blow any any wind up my sails or anything like that. Um, yeah, it was okay. And then the cover by Linda Ronstadt was done in 1978, which was included in the film FM. Did you ever see that? Yes. Did you like it? It was all right. I didn't like it. I mean, it was not great, but it was, I didn't. But I didn't dislike it. I mean, I I'll, I'll take WKRP over that movie, but uh, oh, any day, yeah, um, yeah. So she, uh, so it was on her album, Simple Dreams, uh, released in 1977, and there are a lot of good songs on this record. Well, another cover too, three covers. Wait a minute. Is it all covers? Jesus fucking Christ. Her albums are always all covers because she doesn't write. Oops. All right. So, I uh, think. I she, mean, yeah, because you think about all her hits. Think about all her hits from the 70s. They're all... She does, like, Buddy Holly covers. Well, that, It's So Easy is on this so album. Easy, Carmelita, Barbara Warren Zevon, Simple Man, Simple Dream by J.D. Souther, 
uh, Sorrow Lives Here by Eric Katz, um, I Will Never Marry, which is a traditional soon, uh, tune, Blue Bayou by Roy Orbison, Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me by Warren Zevon, Maybe I'm Right by Wadi Wachell, Tumble and Dice, and then Old Paint, which is a traditional song. So, Well, those are the, all the songs that's the whole from that album. particular album. Yeah. So okay. it's all covers. That's right. She doesn't. She didn't write songs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe she wrote songs, but I'm none that I'm aware of, and certainly none that were hits. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking, I can't think of any song, song I could say that she wrote. Well, so her cover of this, you know, it was Linda Ronstadt. <laughs> you know, she had her band. It was in Southern California. It's Linda Ronstadt. It sounds like Linda Ronstadt. It sounds like in a Linda bar. Ronstadt in a bar recording it live. Yeah. Um, there's really no change to it that much. It's just kind of like straight ahead and I don't know. Again, it's just kind of like, meh. Actually, I think her version was the first one I heard. Oh, really? Well, again, I didn't buy oh, right. Exile to the 80s, so. Yeah. Yeah, it was on the radio. I can't say that it was a huge hit, but I remember hearing it often enough. And uh, the smart asses at... <laughs> at the local radio station where I grew up in Allentown would play it back-to-back. The two versions? The two versions, The two yeah. versions? The two that, virgins. That, that great Johnny Yoko album? <laughs> the two virgins back-to-back. They, they play two versions. Yeah. Um, so, who wins this? Once again, <laughs> it's a tie. A tie? It's a tie of meh. <laughs> Equally as unimpressed? Equally as unimpressed with both. Not one does not do better than the other, and I is it the I don't know, I is it, you know the Stones are lazy. She does the same lazy thing. She doesn't really change it. The song isn't that great to begin with to me, so it's just like meh. It's a tie, you know. sad what happened to her 
Do you all know that she can't sing anymore? Well, see, the thing about about Linda Ronstadt not supposedly not being able to sing anymore. I mean, and this is we the reason why supposedly is because we haven't heard her sing. She just reports that she can't. Now, see, I I suspect strongly that the only difference between her and Paul Stanley and Paul McCartney is that she has the integrity not to take that shit onto the stage. I, I bet you anything, her voice deterioration is no worse than those guys. guys. She's just like, oh, no, no, I'm not going to step out that. in front of yeah. an audience and do this. Right. Whereas Paul Stanley's like, whoa, whoa, you know, because he knows that people will go, oh, my God, <laughs> oh, God it's so great. Kiss. Yeah. yeah, I'll still throw money at you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. And Sir Paul, well, he just can't stop himself. Uh, yeah, I don't know what his thing is. I, I really, honestly, I, I expect that kind of shit from Paul, from Paul Stanley, but I don't know what's going on with Paul McCartney, what his reasoning is. Well, I think it's another case of he can't do anything else and won't really allow himself to do I'm sure he could do something else, but he just won't allow himself to do anything. You know, like Tony Bennett, that guy can still sing like a motherfucker. In his 90s. And is 900 years old, but he's painting and he's doing something else, yeah. you know, to occupy his time. Paul McCartney, pick up a paintbrush. Well, well, you know what? Paul McCartney does paint. Oh, he does? <laughs> yeah. I've never... See, I've never seen or, or heard I mean, anything I don't about think this. that it's something that he... Well, see, well, okay, Paul Stanley paints as well, and, any, you know, anybody who's seen Paul Stanley's paintings... <laughs> <laughs> but, I have not had the pleasure of that. Now I'm going to have to look oh, up. Oh, you haven't? I oh, have not. Oh. I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know that he was painting. Everybody who's listening right now... Google it. Just go straight to Google Images and pull up Paul Stanley's paintings... You won't even believe what you're seeing. Okay. And of course, because Kiss right fans now. are dumb, that shit sells like hotcakes. <laughs> now, Paul McCartney, he paints, but he doesn't... He quite literally just paints for himself. He doesn't try to do, uh, uh, you know, have showings in, in exhibits or oh, whatever. Right. Whereas Paul Stanley, you know, gets all commercial with it because, well, because he's Paul Stanley. Because he's Paul Stanley. has to... Oh, my God! <laughs> what the hell is this? Oh, this is awful! Seriously. Oh my god, this like, is I terrible. just can't even put words into how oh. bad Paul Stanley's paintings are. And he's trying to sell this? Oh, and he does sell them. Well, of course, because KISS fans are dumb. And he always claims in interviews that, well, most of the people who buy these are people who don't even know who did it, don't even know I'm from KISS. It's like bullshit. Oh, get the fuck out you of are here. lying. Especially if you have your... What the hell? What? That's supposed to be... Oh shit, that's one of his better fucking pieces. See, now that looks pretty good. Uh, what's his name? The blues guy. Johnson? Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson, Looks yeah. like a Robert, yeah. That, that actually is pretty... That's not so bad. That's not well, so bad. Well, you know, the biggest problem, I think, with Paul Stanley is his, his choice of colors is usually really, really, really he tacky. He has a garish palette. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the hell he's doing here. Uh, see, that one's not so bad either. That one actually is okay. Maybe he's gotten better, guy. but, like, they, but he's, he's got... Most Paul of his shit is bad. Like, his self-portraits... And I mean, like, look, like Jester, you know, that Astral shit, Autumn, and these doors of perception. Come on, man. Yeah. What yeah. is this? It's a what? It looks like a parking garage <laughs> in dayglow colors. In a gaudy parking a garage. A gaudy parking garage. All right, and peace. They're just oh, the peace symbol. They're one just is peace symbols rich. in bright colors where he scraped it with a fork. It, it looks. It looks like a fucking. Elementary school kid yeah, doing, oh yeah, this is, doing finger painting. Okay, and for those of you who don't know anything about me, I've been an art educator for over twenty years, so I'm a I, I can I can critique this professionally. But this portrait is that his wife? 
Uh, I don't know who that is, but See, it looks more like... Uh, Andy Warhol is trying to do here. Well, it looks like computer graphic shit. That doesn't look like actual painting. Yeah, it does. Or paint by numbers. Yeah. Wow. All right, people. I just had to Google it right now and look at this shit, and you have to Google it and look at it, because holy crap. You, but you're right, though. I mean, I'm, I... I can go on and on about how awful his paintings are, but yeah, the Robert Johnson one isn't that bad. Robert Johnson's pretty good. That's not bad at all. Oh, you need to, but you need to see his four, his four portraits of Kiss. Oh no. He does one of each member. Oh god. And but, but then he adds a little something. Uh-oh. It's a painting of, of you know each member and with a little quote from one of their lyrics. Oh no. Like his has a quote. Nowhere to run, baby. Or nowhere to hide, baby. Nowhere to run. You pull the trigger of my love gun. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> he, he actually paints out the lyrics next to the, the image of himself. Oh, my it's God. Like, this shit's deep, man. Oh, this is God. Deep. That is horrible. Holy shit. It's a cheese ball. Wow, Paul Stanley. All right. Well, y'all have to look at it because <clears throat> I, I'm, I don't even know what to say. It's just awful. Bloody awful it is. All right, well, that's the end of... uh, What episode was this? Seven? Yes, episode seven. So, um, I'm sorry about being late with these things, but life got in the way, and I'll try to be uh, more on time with things. So, thank you for listening, everybody. I hope that you dig it and uh, learn something today. Thank you to my engineer, Dr. Paul Bertolino, as always. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Thank you very much. And uh, enjoy your day. Enjoy your night. Happy motoring.